Hey, this is Jason Martinez of the Philadelphia Flyers, and you're listening to Face Off with Chris on the Enterprise Sports Network. great show for you guys today um, for just about 30 minutes uh, this morning here on Fridays when this was recorded I had a chance to sit down and talk uh, with you know flyer legend Daniel Briere uh, Briere spent you know 17 years in the National Hockey League six of which um, probably you know, obviously six of his best seasons um, with the Philadelphia Flyers and you know we as we're about to reach playoff time those who are Briere fans or just overall Flyers fans know very well uh, the kind of playoff performer uh, Danny Briere was. You know, I talked to him a little bit about, you know, how his game just completely elevated when it came to playoff time. And, you know, he was a, he was a point per game player in the playoffs with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, and he was well over a point per game player uh, with the Flyers. Um, so I think it was like, yeah, in 68 career playoff games, he has 72 points. Uh, as a Philadelphia Flyer, and we all know um, many moments over his career in Philly were just filled with just big-time goals and, and just big-time plays consistently. Um, you know, there was a point where I do ask Danny where, you know, how did it seem like you were just so unstoppable at times when it came to just, you know, the bigger the pressure, the bigger the game, um, you just absolutely rose rose above all of that and just were an absolute star when it came to, to playoff hockey. Um you know, we talk about a lot um, from the 2009-2010, uh, you know, Cinderella season that ended in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, you know, I talked to Danny about what he expects out of this Flyers team as they start um, basically a whole new season, uh, what he thinks it's going to be like. Uh, and then we get into a lot of other things in terms of, you know, what his thought process were when he was going to be signing uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers back in 2007, 2008. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a really fun conversation. I've been on record numerous times over my, my career of podcasting that the, the two nicest athletes I've ever had the pleasure of just talking to, not just covering. You know, I had the privilege to cover uh, these guys. To, you know, mo- their whole entire Flyer career almost – um, was Danny Briere and Simone Gagne, the two nicest athletes I've ever talked to in my entire career in media. Um, and just like today, you know, the same thing, uh, Danny was fantastic. Um, at the end, we do a pretty fun thing of a, a, a player word association. I gave him the list of players he either played with or against and uh, wanted him to give me you know, one or two words to describe that player. Uh, so we had a lot of fun doing that. I really hope you guys enjoy uh, this interview with Danny. Uh, thank you very much to Dan of Enterprise Sports for uh, facilitating this. Uh, we hope to get Danny on again in the future. He, he uh, definitely agreed to do so. Um, but nonetheless, uh, as Philadelphia Flyers hockey is getting ready to start their you know second season, you know playoffs are are right around the corner. As you know, next week I believe we already start. Um, some playoff hockey, um, or at least the exhibition games, um, you know, who better to talk to than Daniel Briere? Uh, so it was a lot of fun. I'm really grateful and appreciative of his time. Uh, again, this was recorded just this morning, Friday morning, so I'm getting this out to you guys as fast as humanly possible. 
I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I will be back um, next week. Uh, we will. Uh, Jay and I will be doing our, our Phillies season preview. We wanted to kind of do it after they've already had a few games under their belt to kind of get a gauge of how this season is going to go. Um, so then next week we will be talking um, about the Philadelphia Phillies. But today, sit down, get your coffee, maybe put a flyer, an old Flyers game on in the background and enjoy uh, this uh, half-hour interview with the one and only Daniel Briere. All right, with us now is uh, Danny Briere. What's going on, man? Hi, Chris. Uh, doing doing great. I can't complain. I know it's been a little rough this this pandemic, and um, I'm missing sports, especially hockey. Uh, but uh, but overall, I, I really can't complain. I've been very fortunate to be able to uh, to keep working and just to, to stay busy. Uh, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna be one of my first questions is during the last you know four months, what have you been doing to to keep busy? Did you find any brand new hobbies, anything like that? <laughs> Trying to reinforce my, uh, my business skills. Um, you know, like I said, I, I've been very fortunate. I get to keep working. Um, you know, the Flyers have been uh, very generous, uh, you know, on the, on the business side, helping me, uh, giving me the chance to, uh, to see how, uh, how to deal with uh, this kind of crisis. Um, so I'm learning a lot. And at the, at the same time, you know, we're trying to uh, keep afloat or, our team in the ECHL in, in Portland, Maine. So we've been very active there, uh, trying to find ways to uh, prepare for, for next season, trying to figure out uh, uh, when we're going to come back, uh, if we do. Um, so those are all the things that, uh, that we're doing. But at the same time, um, you know, we're, we keep signing players and uh, we're, we're doing business as usual as if uh, the season was going to start at some point uh, next year. We just don't know when, but we believe that there will be a, a hockey season. Oh, thank goodness. Um, so you were part of, of two lockout seasons, 05 and then the 2012-2013. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what these teams and players just went through was unlike, obviously, anything we've ever seen. Um, you play 70 games, you gear up for the playoffs, then poof, four months of absolutely nothing. Um, now August uh, through at least October 2nd will be playoff hockey inside of a bubble in two cities, no fans, um, as a former player, and you've played in a lot of big games, especially in Philadelphia, how would you mentally prepare for what these guys are about to go through? Oh, my God, this is um, uncharted territory. There's, there's no doubt about it because usually even if there's a, there's a lockout, um, like, like we, the last one that we had, you know, we, we missed the beginning of the season, we still had 48 games to prepare for the postseason. Uh, this time around, it's totally different now. They're, they're jumping right into the playoffs, games that, that matters um, right away. I, I don't know how I would uh, be able to, to prepare for that. I was always a um, kind of a field player. I needed to feel comfortable. I needed to, to have everything in, in, in order, in the right place. Um, and as the season went on, I felt I was getting stronger rather than the other way around. So um, I, I don't think that would play into uh, my strength to, uh, to sit around for four months and uh, boom, jump right back into the playoffs. So I'm not too sure how, uh, how to approach it. So you, you hear a lot of players today, they, they bring up the question of what it's going to be like to play with no fans. And as I expect, you guys are professionals and you say, look, you know, we have business to attend to. We know how important it is just to play these games. We kind of zone it out. Now, yeah. you, you've, you've been removed for just a couple of years. 
How important is a filled arena during the playoffs? I mean, it's, it's the best time of the year. It's the, the best games to play. Um, you know, that's what would get me fired up to, uh, to, to play games, to be at my best. So um, th- th- there's no more intensity, uh, energy, atmosphere than, than in the playoffs. We, we all know that. I remember, um, you know, when the anthem w- would play, um, having goosebumps, just thinking about what was coming next. Um, and, I, and I still do when I go and watch games. So playing without fans is definitely going to be weird. Uh, obviously, these guys are all professionals, and, and you have to move forward, and you have to do your job and um, you know, give it your best shot. But at the same time, it's going to be tough not having the chance to feed off the fans. And, and sometimes even on the road, when, when you, you make a big hit or you make a big play and you score a goal on the road and you know, the, the building – uh, goes numb and they start booing you, um, you know, it, it's, it's a good feeling. That means you're doing your job and you feed off of that. So, um, and you can't even compare it at home when, when you make a big play uh, and, and the crowd goes uh, wild. So um, the guys are definitely going to miss that. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you, you got to move forward. You got to find a way to, to motivate yourself, find another way to mo- motivate yourself and to come up big in, in those clutch moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of clutch moments, I'm glad that you kind of helped me segue there. Um, you were a point-per-game player in Buffalo uh, and an over-point-per-game player with the Flyers in the playoffs. We all watched you. You know, I was grateful and uh, very lucky to have covered you during all those playoff series with the Flyers. How did you turn it up just, you know, five notches in the postseason? Because there were many occasions, Danny, and not just because you're in front of me, there were many occasions where you seemed unstoppable on the ice. When it came to playoff time, how did you just completely, you know, just turn it up? Well, I, I wish I had an easy answer for that, but I don't. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that there's many reasons why. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, growing up um, in, in my house, you know, my parents, my dad especially would have, you know, playoff time would come around. Um, and, and back then you had, you know, one night you had the Eastern Conference, the next night you had the Western Conference. We had all the TVs on. Um, it, you know, it was special time. Um, so I grew up with that. I grew up going to bed dreaming that I would score an overtime goal. Uh, that's what I would dream about when I was uh, a youngster playing hockey. Um, so when I, I got that chance, I think, you know, that was one of the motivation. Um, there's also the fact that um, when it happens one year, then the following year, you're a lot more comfortable in, in, in that environment. And then the third year, you're even more comfortable. And then the fourth year, now you, you think and you're thinking, well, this is my time. And then fifth and sixth year in the playoffs, you, you just believe that you're, you're way better. So I think mentally, um, that helped me. Every year I felt better and better about the postseason. And I, I started believing that myself, that it, it was my time. It was my time to make, uh, make a difference. And we know how, how strong the mind can be. Um, when we got to the postseason, I, I felt it was my time to shine. It was my time to take over and that the playoffs were made for me. I, I know it's uh, ridiculous to, to think that or to even say that, but that's, that's how I was approaching it. And, uh, you know, it just gave me a lot of confidence going on the ice. Well, take over. You definitely did. <laughs> that that, uh, that 2009-10 Flyers team was very special. Uh, all season yeah. long, you guys grinded. Um, you made the playoffs <laughs> via shootout uh, against the Rangers. You beat the Devils. You made NHL history against the Bruins. 
Um, I mean, they've been playing those games on, on NBC Philadelphia the past three or four months. Um, then you run through the Canadians, and we all know, obviously, how the Stanley Cup ended. But what made that team so special? I think, I, I think we had a lot of guys that were, were built for, for the big, big moment. Um, you know, we struggled going through the, post, the regular season because it's like there wasn't enough urgency. And even in the regular season, the games that we played the best is when uh, we were under fire. Um, you know, when uh, Coach Stevens got fired. Um, you know, Lavi came in and we tanked even more. Um, and then we realized, I think we were 14th out of 15 team in the, in a conference around Christmas time. Um, and then slowly we realized, because everybody was you know, giving us the title at the beginning of the year. They thought we, we were going to be the best team in, in the East, and, and it certainly wasn't going that way. Uh, but when we needed it, we had guys that stepped up. And you think about, you know, our, our, our defense to start with. Um, I think we had the best top four of any team in the NHL with Pronger, Tiemann, and Matt Carl, and, and Colbert. Yeah. Um, you know, and the addition of, of Chris Pronger, uh, when you look at it, I, I think – changed everything because all of a sudden now him playing with Matt Carl made Matt Carl a, a solid number two. Um, and, and it pushed Kimo Timonen, who should have been a number one, down to the second pair. Um, you know, so it was really tough for teams to, to have to face those, those top four defensemen night after night or shift after shift. Um, they would play, you know, 30 minutes each pretty much in, in the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, up front, the, uh, the eclosion in the playoffs of uh, Villeleño, um, you know, our line coming together and, and creating, figuring out that chemistry right off the get-go. That was an added bonus that, as a player, you always dream about. You dream that you're going to find this chemistry with, with your line mates um, instantly. And that's exactly what happened with Scotty Arnold and, and Villeleño. So that was, that was amazing. And, and you still have guys, you know, when you think about – big game, uh, big, big players, big time players, uh, like Mike, Mike Richards. Um, you know, he, he was definitely uh, a strong leader out there uh, for us. Simo Gagne had some really clutch goals. Um, you know, and then you, you, you also, you still have guys like uh, Jeff Carter and Claude Giroux and James Van Riemsdyk. Um, you know, Lappy uh, went through some tough times uh, sacrificing his body. Uh, in those playoffs. So there, there was a little bit of everything on that team, and that's what uh, made it really special. And, you know, I, I do remember, and obviously you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, I do remember, you know, that locker room come that Bruins series was pretty banged up. I mean, some of them guys were hurting pretty bad. Um, when you go down 0-3 to Boston, and I, I'm sure you remember and how Boston was like the golden child of the NHL that season. Everyone thought, you know, Boston might have been the team because they were pretty stacked. And when you go down 0-3, what's the mindset going into, like, game four? And then even if you win game four, what's the mindset in that locker room? Well, I, I can tell you right from the get-go, we, we didn't feel that we were inferior uh, to the Brooms. Yeah, we had limped into the playoffs. It was a, a tough way to get there. But we felt we, we had the better team. Um, when we looked back, I still remember we were sitting in the – in the locker room after game three, there must have been probably 14 or 15 of, uh, of us sitting around on the couches looking at each other. And, and it was just, we couldn't understand how we were down three, nothing. We were the better team. We felt we should have been up two one in that series. At worst case scenario, 
down to one. Uh, but, but just, it just wasn't working out. We weren't getting the bounces. Um, and, and we needed to figure, figure out a way to, to turn those bounces. And, you know, one of those bounces that came off the ice was, um, after game three, we realized, or we found out that uh, Krejci was out for the rest of the, the playoffs with the, the wrist, uh, broken wrist. And, and on the flip side, we were getting Simon Gagne back. So just that flip uh, was a big bounce without even realizing it. And, um, you know, we, to me, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, 10 years later, but uh, we were not going to lose game four at home. Uh, you got to save face. We were too proud. We were going to get, we were going to win game four. Um, now to me, and that's the game that's probably the least talked about is game five. And to me, that was the key to that series because, you know, Boston didn't want to come back uh, to Philly uh, after that. They wanted to end it at home in game five. And we came out there and I think we won four nothing that game. If I remember correctly, we outplayed them. We were clearly the better team. And then all of a sudden, that's when the pressure started building on them. Uh, once again, you know, you're coming home. It was a tough game. I think we won 2-1 game six. Mm-hmm. But we were at home. We, there's no way we were going to lose in front of our fans. Um, and then game, game seven, anything can happen after that. Um, so that's why I say that game five was definitely uh, the key in my mind to turning that series around and putting the pressure on, on the Bruins. Absolutely. And so you guys win, you take game seven. You, I mean, you come back from being down three, nothing in game seven and you guys end up winning that game um, late in third period with Simone Gagne's big goal. Um, When did you guys almost at the end of game seven say to yourselves in the locker room, Oh, we got to go through a whole nother series now before we get to the Stanley Cup. (laughs) No, you know what? We we were excited because the matchup, with Montreal was very favorable. Yeah. Um, we, we had had a lot of success against them in, in the regular season. The way we saw it is Montreal had beaten Pittsburgh and Washington in their first two rounds. And both those teams were built the same way. They were built around a, a couple superstars that all they had to do was stop those two guys. In our case, you know, you could ar- arguably say that our superstar uh, was Chris Bronger on defense. So, uh, you know, it's tough to really focus just on a defenseman. We had three scoring lines. Um, you know, they, they couldn't really put a target on on one or two players. Uh, so I, I think, and then, you know, the physicality of our team compared to Pittsburgh and, and Washington at that time uh, was completely different. So I, that's why we felt really good. We felt that um, we were going to, you know, get through Montreal. I wouldn't say easily, but... Um, you know, they, they were not at the same level as what we had just faced uh, in the Bruins, we felt. And uh, um, it was a little bit of a, almost a relief after the grind of that series against the Bruins, where emotionally we, we left it all out there. The ups and downs of that roller coaster from the series, you know, being down 3 nothing to coming back. Game seven being down 3 nothing and coming back. It was, uh, it was a wild roller coaster. So, um, it was it was nice to have uh, you know start from scratch where you know the the emotion wasn't as draining as draining in game one or two against uh, against Montreal and being able to win those first two games at home that was an, another amazing thing getting you know finishing seventh in the conference and, and getting home ice advantage for the conference final uh, was a nice added bonus for sure. Now when you when you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, I mean. 
not too many people thought that the Blackhawks, and that was the beginning of a dynasty. Um, but you guys take it to game six, overtime of game six, and obviously you know, we know what happens. But um, was that another series where you guys just battled, battled, battled? You thought if you could get game six at home and take it back yeah. to Chicago for game seven, were you guys starting to feel real confident? Yeah, we – at that point, even when we were down two nothing um, after the first two games, it, in our mind it was just well, you know, that's what we've done all year long. That's what we've done throughout the playoffs. Um, it's another obstacle. That's what that's where we play our best. And you know, we come home, we win the next two. Now we're down, we're back to being tied two two. Um, we lose, you know, game five in in Chicago, but it's no big deal because we'll be back for game seven. Um, game six, there was no doubt in my mind that we, we were going to win that game. Even, you know, in between periods, uh, before the overtime started, it never even crossed my mind that we could lose that game. It, it was like the focus was solely on, we were, we are going to find a way, uh, because that's what we've done all year. That's what we do. That's what we're built for. Um, and, and that's, I think that's why it was so crushing when, when that game, when you realize that the goal is in and. Uh, you know, the, this dream is all over uh, because in, in our mind, we, we were all going back on that plane back to Chicago for game seven. And, you know, at that point, like I said earlier, anything can happen in the game seven. Absolutely. And, you know, if we're being honest here, regardless of the result of that cup series, you, sh you should have been the Conn Smythe winner of that series. It, you had 30 <laughs> points that playoff season. <laughs> Let's just be real about that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and I realized that, you know, to be the MVP, your team needs to win. Um, that's that's how it is. So that's why there, there's no hard feelings. Um, Jonathan Taves had an amazing uh, playoff run himself, uh, totally deserving also. Um, and, and his team win. He won. They, you know, he helped his team uh, clinch and lift the Stanley Cup. So um, I'm okay with that. Um, personally, it was probably, yeah, you know, the, the best two months of my career as far as uh, playing, my playing um, personally. So it, it was pretty wild. It was a great time. I, I still look back and, and really enjoy it. It would have been nice to uh, be able to, to lift the cup, though. Uh, I, I would change, and I, I don't care about the Connie Smite. It was, yeah. it was more about lifting the cup. That's, uh, that's where I'm, I'm most upset about. Oh, understood. Um you signed with the Flyers in 07, and you spent, after spending four years in Buffalo um, and, and quite a bit of time in Phoenix, obviously, but what was it that made you want to ultimately sign a long-term deal, you know, with Philadelphia? And what did you know about the city prior to coming uh, here? And ultimately, you know, you're, you know, still have your roots here. Well, I honestly, I didn't know much about the city. Um, you know, I talked to Marty Braun, who was a, a good friend of mine, and I asked him questions uh, about the city. There was also the fact that I, I, I wanted to be on East Coast after playing in, uh, in Phoenix, uh, coming to Buffalo. It was just schedule-wise, it was just a lot easier uh, stay in contact with friends and family because I was from the, the East Coast. So um, it, it wasn't a, you know, a factor that was going to change everything, but if, if it came into it, I, I preferred being on the East Coast. Uh, the one thing that was extremely important for me was to be with a competitive team. I knew I was signing a, a, a big contract and um, I, I wanted to be put in the best position possible uh, to be successful. And I, I wanted a competitive team that was uh, gonna be 
battling or having a chance at a Stanley Cup for, for the next, you know, six, seven, eight years. And uh, I, I thought the Flyers were positioned perfectly for that. When you looked at um, the young guys coming up and uh, Mike Richards and Jeff Carter and Scotty Upshaw, and there was the trade for um, Braden Coburn uh, at the deadline. Um, and then, you know, on that a couple of days before July 1st, I think Scotty Hartnell and, and Kimo Tiemann were traded and signed with the Flyers. Um, and uh, on the day of the draft, they, uh, they, the Flyers made a trade for Jeffrey Lupul and, and Jason Smith. Um, and then we're not even talking about Simo Gagne and Mike Nubel yet. So uh, I, I just thought it was the perfect setup, uh, you know, to be surrounded by a good group of guys that would give me a chance personally to, to lift a cup eventually. It didn't happen, uh, but we had some, some great years. Um, you know, at the end of the day, that, that's what mattered to me. I wanted to be with, uh, with a good team that uh, was going to be successful. I always feel like um, hockey players, you guys are completely built differently in terms of dedication, in terms of the desire to win. Because you look at a guy, and I'll, I'll change sports just real quick, like Mike Trout just signed the second biggest contract in the history of sports, but he's on a team that might not be successful for quite some time. So when he knows for a fact he could have went anywhere else and gotten that kind of money with a team that, like you said, could contend for a while. So why is it that I think hockey players are built so differently where they can get offered nice contracts, but it might be with a team that might not win for a while and they'll take maybe less money to go play, you know, six, seven years for a team that can contend for that entire duration of that contract. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it's go ahead. No, is, that, is that something that is built into you guys from like peewees where just winning is just means so much. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't really speak for uh, other players, and especially in different sports. But I know from the time that we're six, seven years old and we jump on the ice, you know, the, the focus is on team play. And, you know, you're never bigger than the team. And it starts, they put that in your head from a very, very early age. Um, so that's probably why it's ingrained so deep in, in, in hockey players. Um, everybody has different factors that are important to them. Um, obviously to be loyalty was, was extremely important. And, um, at first I, I, up until maybe 10 days, seven to 10 days before July 1st, I thought I was going to stay in Buffalo. Uh, I thought the Sabres were going to come up with, uh, you know, an offer to, to keep me around. It, it never, never happened. And, you know, I had to move on and that's, that's when I started exploring my, my options. So, um, you know, I, it kind of surprised me a little bit, but that's when it opened the door. And I remember on July 1st, as soon as uh, free agency opened, um, you know, my, my agent had done a good job as at keeping the expectations fairly low. Um, right from the get go, the offers started coming in and it was way more money than I ever expected. So from that point on, you know, the, the, the value of the contract wasn't even important. And I, you know, com completely became secondary. Uh, to what I was uh, I was looking at because it was uh, way more than than I ever expected I would make playing a game uh, that I love. Um, so before I you know get into the final questions uh, here, what are you? What is your outlook for the Flyers as they restart next week? Um, what, do you think this is a team that's built for a run? Obviously, this is like we talked about in the, in the top of the interview is. You know, every team is basically starting out the same. It seems like most guys, most teams had this time to be healthy. 
you know, this was like a full off season, a four month layoff here um, for a team that was so hot from November through, you know, the stoppage. Um, how important do you think it'll be for this Flyers team, how they're built now to kind of just get that momentum back right away? Well, I don't know what's going to happen uh, starting August 1st because it's, I, I think honestly, it's such a crapshoot because you're, you're starting a new season and you're starting right with the playoffs right away. And who knows how, you know, guys have taken care of themselves, how ready they're going to be. Um, I, I think there's so many things that, that we can get surprised by. So it's uh, to me, it's a total crapshoot, but more importantly, I think the Flyers team is, is built to be a contender for, for the, the, the next five, six, seven years, uh, you know, starting in goal with Carter Hart, uh, you look at the defense to, you know, you know, other than maybe Niskanen, um, the core of this defense, when you think of Provorov, uh, Sanheim, Myers, uh, Ghost, who's, who's also uh, still young, um, you know, that, that's, looking, that's looking great for the future uh, of the, the Flyers. And then up front, you know, the, the emergence of Travis Connect. Uh, Sean Couturier is, uh, is still young. Lindblom is just coming into his own. Um, I think the swagger uh, that Hayes brought to, to this team uh, also is, is a big key to uh, the future of, uh, of the Flyers. And um, you, know, you still have Voracek and, and G uh, leading the way offensively. So it's, uh, I think it's exciting for, for Flyers fans. Finally, we've turned the corner and we'll have a team that will be contending for at least the next six, seven years. So it's exciting. I agree. And fingers crossed on that one. Um, so before I let you go here, you've given us so much time. Um, I'm going to do like a player word association. I'm going to name a player. And I want you to give me like the first couple things that come to your mind about this player, whether you played against them or for them or with them. I'm right. sorry. Okay. My first one's going to be Claude Giroux. Uh, competitive. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Roenick. Um, wild. <laughs> uh, Keith Kachuk. Just a horse. Mm, big boy. Um, yeah. Dominic Hasek. Um, the dominator. Um, uh, the way you could read the play. Mm. Intimidating, I would say. Okay. Um, that's good. Uh, Chris Pronger. Um, respect. Um, I've never seen a guy who's respected so, so much by everybody that he's playing against and the referees on the ice. Uh, it's like everybody was afraid of him. I was terrified of him every time I saw him. In the <laughs> yeah. Cause he would call the, that, that was my favorite. He would call the uh, reporters out when they, they would ask bad questions. So that was That's why funny. I never asked him a question because I was terrified <laughs> to be called out. Um, <laughs> um, Mike Richards. <laughs> Um, natural leader. Okay. Um, Nathan McKinnon. Power, just a powerful, um, just, we would just skate through people, uh, plow through people. Uh, the, the power is very impressive. Now, before I get to the last one for Nate McKinnon, you played with him when he was 19. Did you see yeah. him? I remember his first couple of years, people were wondering if he was going to be worth that, that top draft yeah. pick. And then now all of a sudden, you know, he's a top three player in the world. Did you yeah. see that in him being a veteran, you know, a, a, a big time player like yourself? Did you see that in him? 
Well, he, he, to me, he had it was the whole whole package. Um, it was just you know the maturity level needed to come around. Um, you know, and, and for some guys it happens at twenty twenty one. Some guys it happens at twenty two twenty three, and for some guys it happens at thirty. Um, so it was just a matter of time. Um, but I mean, like I said, the, the power um, nobody could can, can stop him when when he decides to go, and that was very impressive. Now the last one I have to ask is Sidney Crosby. Um, there's there's so many words that, that we could use. I mean, natural leader, uh, power, grace, um, hardest worker. Um, you know, and and that's I think what is very impressive when you have uh, a guy who's you know been the best player in the NHL for the last what. 12 years um, when he's also the hardest worker, um, you know, that, that, that shows you that why it's done and why he got there. And um, that's why I have a lot of respect for him. My last question is, it has to do with Alexander Ovechkin. I asked Jim Jackson the same thing and a couple other guys, the same thing. So this guy's about 180 goals away from Wayne Gretzky, a record that no one ever thought could ever be touched. But this yep. guy is, you know, you've played against, uh, you know, o- Ovi a long time, and he's a mutant, and he's durable. Um, yep. Do you think there is a chance that this Gretzky goal record can be broken? There's definitely a chance. Um, you know, is it favorable in his favor? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's. I think it could be very close. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how well he takes care of himself in the next few years, because obviously he's, he's getting older. It's going to get tougher and tougher for him. Um, you know, losing these, these last few games might have hurt him, depending how, how well he took care of his body. Um, but like you said, he's, he's a mutant. He's, uh, he's a specimen. Um, it, it's, it's very possible. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we talked about maturity. Um, what, what I saw from him, um, you know, with winning the Stanley Cup was a guy that finally figured it out. Uh, it took him a little longer to realize that it wasn't just about him, that uh, it was about the whole team if you wanted to, to win a cup. Um, so, um, no, I, I, I lift, I tip my hat to him for, for what, he, what he's done. He, you know, he's, he's getting better with age, and that's very impressive. Yeah, uh, Danny, I want to thank you so much, man. And, you know, I told you this on the phone and I, and I tell people this all the time publicly is when I covered the team from 06 to 2017, you and Simone Gagne treated me so well. You know, I was a kid that looked like I was 17 walking around a locker room of grown men playing hockey. Um, but I really appreciate your class and just how incredible you were. And I, I'm, th- I thank, I'm very thankful for this time. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for saying that and, and for being around and helping, uh, helping uh, grow our sport. Yeah, for sure. I hope to talk to you again soon. Same here. Thanks, Thanks. Chris. Take care. Have a good one, Danny. Bye-bye. All right. We're good, man. Awesome. That was fun. Yeah. Um, hopefully the questions weren't too bad. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I love talking hockey, so it's all good. <laughs> My, uh, my brother wanted me to ask you how your son's doing. He's played against your son a, a couple times and some pickup as well on ice, but he wanted me to ask you how he's doing. Uh, which one? Because I have three. The, I guess, let's see, if my brother's 21, I guess you're oldest. So he's 21. What year was he born, do you know? 98. 
98, that would be, yeah, that's my oldest. So he's at school at Alabama. Wow. Uh, he plays club hockey uh, over there. So he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's having fun, um, he, you know, enjoying life and getting his, uh, you know, his school done. So it's, uh, he, he's doing well. It's a little change of pace down there, but mm-hmm. he loves it. Is Alabama going to be doing virtual school in September? They haven't announced uh, officially yet. Uh, I, I would think so, um, but but they haven't heard yet uh, officially. Okay. All right, well, I'll let you go. I've, you've given me so much time. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris. All right, man, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take right. care. Bye-bye. You too, bye.